Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick. And my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today. Climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers. And it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. probably know about the insurmountable amount of plastic packaging in school lunches. And for most of us, the idea of tackling this problem feels bigger than the daily piles of waste it creates. But when my next guest child came to her for help, she couldn't look the other way. And thankfully, a movement was created. Cafeteria Culture is a New York City-based nonprofit empowering our children to take action for the plastic-free future they desire. Armed with a camera and determination, this movement has now become a movie, Microplastic Madness. Today, we will learn from the film's creators and producers, Atsuko Quirk and Debbie Lee Cohen, on how they started this mighty movement and why children may very well save the world from plastic pollution. I hope you enjoy. Debbie Lee and Atsuko, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Christine. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Christine. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Uh, it's such a joy. So first, I have to tell the listeners how wonderful your film, Microplastic Madness, is. I would consider myself extremely knowledgeable on this subject, but I learned a few things in this movie that I had no idea about. And it's just incredible. So congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's nothing like being like learning something from an 11 year old. I <laughs> love a few it. of them and mixed with some experts. So we really we're working hard to get the word out and to reach as wide an audience as possible. Well, it's just wonderful. I, you know, I, I want to dive right in, but I, I do want to start at the beginning and kind of give a background because you, you did start in banning uh, styrofoam, right? Like, I mean, kind of give us an idea of, of how this started. Well, actually, the idea of an organization was not in the future that time. <laughs> we were doing other things, but there was a need. And often where there's a need, a movement is born. And in this case, you know, it was like one comment that really from my daughter, who was then seven, who made a comment about her styrofoam tray in her schools. And at that time, there were 30-some schools who were able to self-fund a compostable plate. It just wasn't equitable. It wasn't fair. And so the idea was, well, why shouldn't every school in New York City have this opportunity to have a compostable plate? And how, what, what kind of strategies could we use to make that change? And then I met the amazing Atsuko Quirk, and we combined. I was teaching at Parsons at that time. She was making documentary movies, and she had her own experience in her school at the Earth School. So the, uh, I have to rephrase some of it that at the time, New York City schools were throwing away 860,000 styrofoam trays per day. Wow. Which is the same if you stuck flat. It's eight and a half times higher than um, the Empire State Building. So that's the amount that we are talking about. And that's a day, Atsuko? 
her day. And part of our garbage in New York City doesn't, people would say, oh, they're going to landfills. Part of it is that from Manhattan, most of our garbage is actually going to an incinerator. And if you're burning styrene, it's toxic. And it's been negatively impacting the community of Newark, New Jersey, and other communities, and probably us too, because the wind does not always blow west. So where it's like we're we're endangering ourselves by incinerating this. And it's, it's also a climate crisis issue. It's so connected to the climate crisis. This year, we, we officially banned styrofoam in New York City. But when were you, you guys were working on this a while ago, right? We were. And we, we helped with a citywide policy to ban uh, polystyrene. And now it looks like it'll be banned soon statewide. And I'd like to congratulate our students in the program because I think their voice led to making these policies a reality and also using data. So a youth voice and a youth voice of color that we don't always hear, an urban youth voice, but also using local data that helps support policy change. Tell me about the movie. So what happened with the movie? So you banned styrofoam and you, you, you know, you made your daughter's wish come true, right? You know, mom, a mom saved the day. And, and, and we now have a culture and we, you know, our kids, you know, in our own schools are, are now, at least in the earth school, are eating better, having longer meals, et cetera. What, how, how'd this film come about? Yeah. So first we weren't going to make a movie. We, you know, we were just taking a video, but then, it started with uh, actually one grant from uh, EPA Region 2 back in 2012, right? No, 2016, actually. And then we went into three different schools to do uh, street litter surveys and then taking the data and citizen science. And PS15, which is the, uh, you know, we shot for the movie, was one of the three schools. And we kind of like fell in love with the school because of the they had a very strong sense of community very strong tie in the community and the, the school acts as a community school they have you know like a medical care for the community and not only students and teachers a minute you walk in it's the security guards it's the custodians and kitchen staff and they're very welcoming air to support children. So, and then of course the uh, principal is amazing to support any environmental project. And then also project-based learning, you know, the uh, progressive uh, way to actually teach environmental education. And also students are so inspiring that their own way to talk about this issue was so inspiring to us. Then I told Debbie Lee that we have to make a movie. But Atsuko said, no, we have to make Did a feature document. document. Right. I, I kind of flipped out because I thought, well, yeah, that's a great idea, except that we're an underfunded small uh, organization. I really thought it was going to be a choice. Well, if we make a movie, then that's it for the organization. We're going to, we're, we're not going to survive actually. But one of the things that came out of the making of the movie, we hope, of course, we didn't predict like it, nobody did that there would be this difficult time of the pandemic, but that the movie is not only the story of these amazing 56 students at PS 15 in Red Hook, Brooklyn, this amazing community of Red Hook that's on the front line of the climate crisis. But it's also 
a movie about environmental education and what happens when you have consecutive years. So in this case, it was two consecutive years with the same students. And what happens that how they become experts, even in the fifth grade. And really, it's a, it's a kind of to sharing a story that supports a climate education mandate, actually, which we very much believe in. And it's one of the issues we support. We'd like to spend more time advocating for. And the movie speaks for that very directly. So we were very lucky to be in this community to work with amazing teachers and amazing support. But we also, the grant that we received from the US Environmental Protection Agency Region 2 also was framed by media. In other words, we got funded, believe it or not, that was under the Obama administration, but we were funded to bring media in as part of the program so that storytelling and hearing the voices of the students was already written into the program. Atsuko just wanted to bump it up a notch, <laughs> and I'm so glad that she pushed me. And we were really lucky. I mean, you know, it's they're not always the same funders who are going to fund a feature documentary who might fund in a nonprofit environmental education organization. And we were lucky to find one funder, but we basically, and some donors also who give us donations, but we're so grateful to, but we made this movie on a shoestring budget. And that should inspire other people who have ideas and issues and things and stories they need to tell that we're lucky we live in this day of, of video production where really almost anybody can make a movie and almost anybody can make a movie for, you know, if you have the time. Well, I know Atsuko does have previous experience, right? And has had her short film uh, uh, featured at festivals. Is that correct? Right. So I had a 40-minute um, movie accepted to like a seven or eight festivals in 2014. So I had a little bit of experience. And then I used to make movies when I was in high school. I was making horror movies. And you know, so I love you know, making movies. So that was sort of like, uh, you know, my true sort of desire to, you know, make a movie. So that sort of came together with this uh, whole environmental movement. And Atsuko has a, a movie, School Lunch in Japan, which is on our YouTube channel, Kafku Media. And it now has how many views? 20, how many views? 27 million views. Wow. Can you say, uh, Debbie Lee, can you please give us that link again? What is that? Yeah, so our YouTube channel is called CAFCU, C-A-F-C-U Media. And we have many free videos on there, including School Lunch in Japan with the 27 million views. You know, it was incredible that that went viral. And that was also partially which ins what inspired us to make this documentary. And we thought, well, if there's that kind of audience interested in school food, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can, maybe there's an audience for this movie. So very, very exciting. Uh, well, and I was, also, and also when we go into classrooms and we talk about our program, we first walk in and we, we bring cameras for students, which is a part of our program. You know, first of all, like the teacher might say, oh, cafeteria culture is here to talk about recycling. And I'm like, we're not going to, it's not that we're against recycling, but it's like, well, we're going to talk about about environmental justice and waste equity. And, and, then, I, and then we start talking about, and we're going to make videos. And the kids are like, Hmm, you start to listen. And then I say, oh, and Atsuko has 27 million views on her movie on YouTube. And then they all sit on the edge of their chairs. And it's the draw, like to, um, to realize that, yes, their story, that there might be people who want to hear their story as well. 
That's wonderful. And I love that you tuned in because whether that's important to you, me, you know, or, or not, it is to the kids. And, and at least you know how to grab their attention and bring them in and empower them. You know, listen, the film was, it's incredible. And I, and we are going to give information. I want everyone to, to be able to watch this film and see it. It's, it's so well done for what you had. And I would never have known that your budget was small. And Thank what you, I, Christine, and can I welcome. say one thing? One of yeah, the amazing can, things about the movie, I don't want to give the movie away, spoiler no. alert, but one of the amazing things that came out of the movie, there, there's still, it, it's very much a take action movie. Um, Atsuko and I were dedicated to making this movie, we, we see a lot of documentaries that you walk out and you feel like, well, what can I do? And we thought we are absolutely not gonna make that documentary. You are gonna know what you can do when you finish this documentary. And of course, as an advocacy and education organization, that's what we know how to do. And so one of the things that's come out of this is that New York City Department of Education School Food Directors agreed, and Office of Sustainability agreed to uh, leading a citywide plastic-free lunch day it was supposed to happen two weeks ago on May 15th. And of course, it was very hard to do that virtually and very unfair to do it virtually. But we're hoping that we can still make this happen next school year. School food directors are still interested in this happening. We've worked very hard on it already. And we're, it's not only for New York City, but we've already um, been reaching out to school districts and cities across the world who are interested in joining us for this Plastic Free Lunch Day. So do stay tuned and do check out microplasticmadness.org so you can keep up with what's going on and follow us on our Instagram account, which is at CAFCU, C-A-F-C-U, or on Twitter at CafeteriaCU, or on Facebook, a Cafeteria Culture, so you can keep up to date with what we're doing. Wonderful, wonderful. And I think that the 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 thing that you're not just empower, you're not just fixing a problem, right? Like really fixing it. As you said, the film leaves you with that. You are not going to watch this film and just be left with like, oh, you know, here's another one. And my heart's been ripped out. And, you know, no, the kids take action. You take action. You know what you can do. And one of the things, there's two things that struck me in the film, but one of the things that was just really empowering to me was that the children handed out information. They took data from their neighborhood and looked at the trash situation, right? And then they informed people. And then from that, and again, it's spoiler alert, I don't want to know, but the, you know, I, I, I do want to say it. They reduced it by 30%. Is that right? 40%. 40%. And that happened in all three schools. So as Atsuko said earlier, we led this program funded by the EPA in three different schools. And they were in different neighborhoods, some similarities, but in every single neighborhood, the students focused on an area of two to three blocks. And in each one of those neighborhoods, the students reduced the plastic street litter by 40%, excluding cigarette butts. We took the cigarette butts out of the data because we weren't really focused on advocating to reduce cigarette butts. And so that's also amazing to think about like what students can do by collecting hyper-local data. And this is data of litter hotspots that New York City does not have this data. So it's very, very exciting to think about municipalities all over the country, all over the world, where these, this is important data to have because if you have this data, you can support plastic-free policy by saying, well, there's so many bottles or so many caps or so many wrappers, or even if it's not policy, even to shift brands to make change because you can call out brands by 
by, by really calculating or quantifying how much their brand or, or businesses, whether it's Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, you know, and the students, what's really special about citizen science in this case is that students understand a level of identifying litter that's different than a scientist would if they came in because they're local. So let's say they see a green plastic bag and then they see a black plastic bag. They might say, oh, that green plastic bag probably comes from that store over there and that black plastic bag probably comes from that bodega over there. So they have an inside knowledge that someone from outside of the neighborhood wouldn't have. And that's not only useful for understanding what that street litter is, but then for when they advocate, they can go to those local stores or go to those bodegas. And it's their community that's actually supporting those stores. And if they ask for the change, that's much, much better than somebody from the outside environmental organization coming in and saying, we need to make this policy. Right, right. And I, and it, it, it wasn't the kids just went and did trash pickups. The children stood outside and gave information to their community as to how much trash was happening. And then everyone in the community decided to use less, right? Or to be more conscious. So like yeah. making banners, doing yeah. uh, free bag giveaways, talking, really talking to people and explaining how the street litter becomes harmful uh, ocean litter or uh, harmful litter in our waterways. And so, and understanding in particular how then it, it hurts not only wildlife, but also public health issues around that. So most people aren't thinking about that when they drop a piece of uh, single-use plastic on the ground. So that that's a great segue to where we're going with microplastics, right? Which is the main part of the movie is about how this is in our water, how we're all drinking, eating a credit card a week now of plastic. In the air. It's in everywhere. In the air. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we just found out that a recent study thinks like the amount of microplastics in the oceans is double of what we thought. And that's because of just the way of collecting data has gotten, you know, we're using different screens to filter the water. That too struck me because I, I, you know, we've all seen the picture of the seahorse holding the, the ear swab, and we think, you know, a lot of people think, well, gosh, who's doing their ears on the beach and doing all that? And that's not where this is coming from. And it's it's not someone on a boat throwing it off the boat. Um, it's actually coming from sewage overflow, which is a, a big part of this problem. Can you explain a little bit to us what that is? So combined sewer overflow has to do with the way our sewage system is designed so that on, in 700 cities across the U.S. So it's not just New York. So most people don't even think about, you know, where is it? You flush the toilet, you run the water in the sink. We tend to think sometimes about, do we have enough water to use? But then we're done with it, like everything else. It's like it's disposable, it's done. But actually what happens is on rainy days in 700 cities, in order for this, the pipes not to be maxed out, because there's so much water coming off the streets as well as from our buildings, our homes, our businesses. What happens is that there's this overflow system where the wastewater is let out into our waterways. And that sounds disgusting. It's also disgusting to think about our pipes bursting. Most um, cities have antique, um, really old uh, sewage systems. You, in New York, they're slowly replacing the pipes, and it's fascinating to look at these old pipes as they pull them out. You think, oh, you can see how those pipes could burst if there's too much pressure on them, right? 
So, but it's something that most people aren't aware of. So then what happens, our sewage, as well as our whatever's on the street, all gets mixed in and all of that's going out into our waterways. And it's a huge issue in New York City. Many people are still not aware of it, um, which is unbelievable actually. And so that's exciting about this movie in a way and in this part of educating students to become more aware of how they use water as well as how they're littering and how, you know, how that impacts how a, a straw, just a straw, one straw on the street might fit through the grates, might go out into the ocean and then that straw breaks down and how many animals, marine animals might that one straw impact. So it goes down, and I think that's another thing. Like when you see things on the street, never mind, you know, it's, I pick up garbage as, as much as I can, but if it goes into the sewer, if it goes down that grate or into there, into the water system, that the sewage plant, of course, captures things, but it doesn't capture everything, right? And so, and one of the big we, things, well, I should say one of the tiny things that it doesn't yeah. capture are also microfibers from our clothes. So that's, I think that's the part of the movie that people are most surprised and really even people who seem to know a lot about plastic pollution really don't understand the implications of just washing our clothes because almost every piece of clothing is made with some kind of synthetics and even cotton clothing, the fibers can be harmful to marine wildlife. So, um, and our sewage systems are not built to collect these tiny microfibers as they're not designed to collect microbeads, it would cost millions, maybe billions of dollars to retrofit and to retrofit the wastewater treatment plants. So what do we do? We could start thinking about redesigning how our clothes are designed, how they're uh, manufactured, the kinds of the length of the strands, the way the strands are woven together, the kinds of materials that we're using but also our washing machines. And also what can we do right away is even changing our habits. So, you know, we're like obsessive about washing things in this country. And it's also an enormous amount of energy, water. So even beginning to think about how we take care of our clothes and washing them less when they don't need to be washed and washing yes. them in cold water. Cold water is yeah. very important. I know that cold water doesn't release as as many as many microfibers as hot and warm does. Is that correct? We think so. Yeah. yeah. So studies show that, but maybe even the bigger picture is really how we consume in general. Yes. So really looking, and that's really what the students message is in the movie, just use less stuff because even the clothes connects to the whole fast fashion movement and like how much we need. And you know, really like really just valuing everything that we have, in a greater way, more like our grandparents and our great grandparents did, that we just don't need so much stuff. And really thinking about when you buy things, taking the time to understand like who made them, where they came from, where they're going when you're done with them. And whether it's your food, your food packaging, your clothes, whatever you're using, I think that mindset really, really changes once you start to think about that. Well, it's wonderful that the children are learning this because I, I do feel that we equate, um, I want to say power, but, you know, self-worth with things. Stuff. Stuff. Right, right. And then also, I just want to just make sure that, you know, there. this is uh, about the students actually talking about the plastic pollution issue. But plastic pollution has different different stages of problems, different type of problems, mm -hmm. right? So the litter going into the ocean is one of the problems, right? 
And then the uh, microfibers from the clothing, that's another problem. But there are other problems associated with the production of plastic. So that's the important part that connects to climate change and uh, climate crisis. And the students who are actually the front line of a uh, climate crisis. So that's how they went through all the problems and then sort of like they came back to themselves. So that the, there are a series of aha moments for students. And that was the probably the biggest aha moment for them to realize, okay, so now we're just not, we're not talking about the whales. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about us. So that's the sort of like a, a storytelling that we really wanted for this whole movie to, to message about. So this whole storytelling was coming from them, their series of aha moments that they are the ones actually took our hands to go to their journey with them. So that was the really uh, core of the movie. Then they took the action, they, what they can do in their school, and then that actually blossomed into a bigger movement, bigger, you know, uh, band, the styrofoam in the city. So just so I want to make sure that, you know, there are a series of problems. It's not just one problem with the plastic, second problem with plastic, third problem of plastic. So then that's whole told by students. And I think also what's interesting about the movie is the students tell that, but in part, we, are, we were also trying to to test how do we teach that? How do we teach about the life cycle of plastic, the full life cycle, so you understand that every part of the life cycle plastic actually has some negative impact on some community somewhere or all of us. And so one of the things we did actually recently, we're still working on our curriculum because we're always trying new things, is that we actually designed a game, and it's a board game, and it's called The Life Cycle of Plastics, and I encourage everybody to go to microplasticmanus.org. You can download, and if you have a printer, I'm sorry, you do need a printer right now to print that game out. There are other games that you can play digitally, but that game you can play, and it's an educational board game to teach you, and I think it's good for kids and adults, about the life cycle of plastics, which is critical for understanding why a circular economy is so important as opposed to a linear economy. Yes, yes. Now, do you have... Are you, I know you're based in New York City, but is this curriculum available nationally? It is. And in the last uh, seven weeks, we've doubled our audience and we're now very much, uh, our, reach, our reach has is big in California right now. And at first I thought, well, maybe California is so far ahead of us, but actually California is not. And there's a lot of the same issues we found out in our Q&A. Schools have some of the same issues that we have here in New York City, despite policy that might be a little ahead of us. And there's still schools with styrofoam trays. So the issues are similar and we're expanding. Um, that's one thing that coronavirus has helped us to really expand our reach because people are much more open to using virtual learning and remote learning resources or distant learning resources. So we're adding them every week to our website. Most of them coincide with the movie in some way and there's more coming as well as the curriculum that you actually see the students doing in the movie. We have that curriculum. Many teachers in New York City have already used it and that's what we do. We like to develop curriculum and share it for free. I love it. I if, Go ahead. If you're a teacher, you can host, or uh, anybody actually can host a screening 
go to microplasticmadness.org and then there's a tab that says host a screening and you can host a virtual screening and uh, you can just sign up and do with your class. And free for all Title I schools. We have one whole school district sign up. So we're really, you know, it can be the whole school, it could be the PTA, it could be your, um, your eco club, universities have signed up, religious organizations. So really the idea, single use plastics are an issue for, you know, all kinds of organizations, businesses. Um, yes. And what we find is that the movie really stimulates discussion, post-screening discussion. We try our best to be available for Q and A's afterwards. Um, so yeah. please do uh, sign up for a screening. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, and again, don't don't kid yourself when, you know, you think, oh, it's fifth graders doing this. No, this, this, this is going to be, you're going to learn something. Trust me on this. I, you know, you, you think it's going to be a kid's film, but I mean, you, you guys really get into it deep and, and I, that's what I love. You, you look at how we're going to solve this problem and the children, they take samples and they go through it. And this should be mandatory for everyone. I think, like you said, yes, you should host it at your business. And I, I hope that everyone does. It's a really special film. I want to, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up, but I, I, I want to, I know that this is all, you know, most everyone that I have on this show, this is a, a labor of love. This is, this is you helping others. Most people aren't, you know, I mean, I, I know you're going to laugh, not doing this for the money, right? I know what this struggle is, right? And so I'm going to ask you both because you deal with a lot and it's just that the two of you are handling a lot. What, what keeps you going? Like what? What keeps you getting up every morning to, to being the change? Well, it is the students that, you know, we see how they can be really empowered to make change. And then they discover the power within themselves. And then, oh, I can do this. And then those aha moments that you see in front of your eyes. And that's so uh, rewarding. And that sort of like makes me keep going. And it's such an incredible moment in time. You know, even three years ago, if you talked about youth driving change forward, you would think people kind of shrug their shoulders. We'd call city council members to have meetings with fifth graders or eighth graders. And they'd kind of like, I don't really have time, right? Or I don't know. And then they'd have the meetings and they'd find out how much they learn. But we're at a different moment in time. And we, st we started doing this before Greta, right? And so it's really interesting now that I don't think I, I think any fifth grader, sixth grader, any, any kid who would call an elected official and say, I want to meet with you, that that elected official will actually meet with them. They'll actually take the time. So, you know, I wake up every morning now and I think, what is the most important thing that we, the collective we, can do for our children? What can I do today? And I do feel like Atsuko and I and our whole team, we have an amazing small team and everybody's so dedicated, wearing a lot of hats that giving this education and this opportunity that's really linking environmental issues and climate issues to policy and to citizen science and also to creativity and storytelling is really such an important uh, effort at this time right now. So we're, I'm also really, really grateful that we have this opportunity to work with these amazing students who continue to inspire us. And we hope we can inspire the world 
Wonderful. Well, I thank you both for giving these children a seat at the table and uh, having their voices heard. So please remind us again how people can get involved. One, they can get involved. They can screen a film. They can donate to you. Right. Thanks. So please, yes. we need donations. They so need we can donations. share our movie, continue to share it with under-resourced schools. You know, that's a big push. We're, we're not trying to be this, reach the same documentary audience. We're reaching new and diverse audiences, and it's thrilling to be able to do that. Um, we also have a lot of teaching resources, microplasticmadness.org. And you can also email us. There's a little icon on the top of the website, a little envelope icon. It will come to us, you know, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and sign up to host a screening. Be inspired by these Brooklyn youth to take plastic-free climate smart action in your own school and community. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Debbie Leonette Suko, thank you for coming on and thank you for being the change. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.